welcome to the Unfair Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Onfit Podcast, a weekly discussion on key trends in investment and economic policy from some of the world's leading commentators. I'm Emma McGarfee, Head of Onfit Sustainable Policy Institute, and today I'm joined by William Mason, who is Director General, and Alison Gavey, who's Director of Authorization and the Innovation Division at the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. So today we'll be diving into the Natural Capital Fund, uh, which the Guernsey Financial Services Commission uh, has recently developed. So we'll be looking at the impact it's had on the market, how we can overall drive uh, more nature positive financial flows, which is obviously something that the Sustainable Policy Institute has been focusing uh, on over the past year. So welcome, William, and welcome, Alison. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you joining us today. Thank you. Fantastic. So uh, let's dive into the first question. So bit of an obvious one, really, but um, why has the GFSC developed the capital fund? Um, and what was the process and, and how was the fund developed? Well, I suppose in essence, we thought there was a worthwhile gap in the market. Those who are prepared to think a little bit ahead and invest in nature and biodiversity and that we as a small and I hope relatively nimble jurisdiction with a large, well-established fund sector were well-equipped to fill. Well, I think it was fair to say we were encouraged by the Dustgupta review and the WEF's report on dependence on nature, which of course said that more than 50% of the world's GDP is moderately or highly dependent on nature ecosystem services. If you step back a bit, I think that's actually a pretty commonsensical statement because we all need nature to live. And if you don't live, you don't have much GDP. But it was nevertheless, it's quite interesting to try to put these things into an economic perspective. Uh, we also had had some experience in this field because we uh, launched the Guernsey Green Fund Framework, which is a very climate change focused fund framework in 2018. And that has been quite successful. So we're thinking about, well, what's, as it were, the next frontier in sustainability finance and thought that nature was a good thing to look at. Uh, in terms of the sort of formation process, we looked at the COP15 uh, draft targets and thought that gave us a framework. Because as a small jurisdiction, we know full well, we can't invent our own frameworks, our own standards. If you're the EU or China, you might be able to get away with that, but we're far too small. So when we're doing these things, we generally look at well, what are the international standards on which we can build. And we took um, the COP15 draft targets and then we uh, refreshed the fund to make them the actual agreed targets. We took the UN Sustainable Development Goals 15 through, goals 12 through 15, which are nature related, and then the EU's taxonomy, environmental objectives, C through to F. So that's which basically gives those who want to run funds in Guernsey a credible set of uh, international and regional options, which, if they're followed, could help uh, deliver positive outcomes for nature. With climate change, you've got very clear pathways to getting a commercial return. You invest in a solar or wind electricity generation, and then you sell that electricity to an electricity grid, and it gives you some money. Um, I think it's fair to say it's far more challenging to find fully commercial, uh, viable nature investment opportunities. Having a fund framework doesn't make those go away, but we genuinely thought that having one might help forward-looking investors think about the possibilities if we'd done some of the work with giving them a framework based on international standards. And we also wanted to create a framework, and I think this is really important, uh, to encourage those who care about nature uh, to consider how to engage with firms which are on the transition pathway, working on transitioning, 
rather than just those which are strictly green because if one thinks about it we no longer live in a world if we ever did where the west has got a monopoly of capital so the notion that by disinvesting things suddenly become greener i don't think that makes any sense they'll just get money from less discerning providers of capital so we thought we need to provide a framework which allowed good quality environmentally conscious investors to offer transition finance by perhaps investing in what are currently polluting businesses on a long-term basis, and then working with the management of those businesses to use things like such as the science-based targets for nature, to drive real change, and the sort of change which actually cleans rivers and improves the, the wider environment. Uh, and I think it's also the case that uh, that sort of investment can offer economic returns as if you invest in better technology for an already producing entity that can be good good environmentally and it can be uh, good economically. Ali, I don't know if you want to say a little bit about how, how we did the, the development in terms of the market research and so forth. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think being a, a relatively small jurisdiction and, and quite an approachable uh, regulator, we've been able to conduct an awful lot of market research with our current green funds. And so we've engaged with industry and, and representative bodies to work out just sort of structures that we need to put in place. There have been um, a number of similar regulatory flame frameworks which didn't really exist for nature at the time. So we use climate change focused structures as proxies. Uh, and then there was a kind of a review of possible ways to measure natural capital and appropriate metrics with getting the, the tools in place. I think that's been the difficult bit from our understanding of pushing capital into these areas is the way to monitor and measure the metrics that we need to be able to provide uh, a designation. No, very good. Um, and really, uh, really interesting and, and excellent to kind of hear your work or with the companies that actually want to transition as well. There's definitely something that we look at in terms of divestment versus asset ownership and, and what that actually looks like. But I completely agree uh, to the point on divestment and also very interesting to kind of hear how you've been building on green frameworks um, and utilising those. So obviously with doing this research in the market um, and since you kind of put out the, the fund, what, what has the reaction been so far uh, from the market? And how do you see the supporting the growth of nature finance and nature positive investments kind of going forward? Uh, I also have a question on challenges, but maybe let's ask the first two and then we'll come to challenges. If, otherwise, that's a lot of questions in one. <laughs> Obviously, I work in the, in the authorizations area. So we're the first point of contact for applicants. And we've had a lot of positive conversations with promoters who are interested, particularly in the wider remit of investments that can be made within this regime, as William's already alluded to. A lot of the conversations we've had are based on those metrics and measurements and getting appropriate targets in place. Because again, as William's already mentioned, there's an awfully wide remit of, of possibilities within the natural capital fund regime. And I think um, promoters wanted to ensure that they were going to meet our expectations from the start. So I think conversations up front have been positive. So we're now waiting for the promoters to actually get those mechanisms and measurements in place to be able to prove to us that they can actually comply with the requirements. No, very good. And then uh, in terms of kind of how you see the supporting the growth of nature finance and, and nature positive investments as well. Well, I, I think proving that it's pos possible. I mean, sadly, if one looks at things like the Das Gupta report, 
one sees no real practical examples in there, I think it's fair to say, of gen genuinely commercial nature investment. There's a lot of stuff there with a bit of public subsidy and so forth, but actually getting private capital, and I think it is challenging. I would obviously at the early stages in UK terms and biodiversity credits, and I was at a few sessions um, last week at the IMS spring meetings on how to make voluntary carbon markets work better. And I think there's a lot of work still to do there. And then when one talks speaking about voluntary biodiversity regimes, I think we're still a leg or two back. But it's, I think it's a matter of helping people have the frameworks and also the possibilities. I and mean, we've got a lot of choices there. And we don't expect a fund to be able to do them all. Indeed, it would be a rather bizarre and esoteric fund which tried to address every aspect of being nature positive. But if you can focus on a few, and I mean, Guernsey is a big private equity centre, and private equity tends to be much more patient than, say, open-ended uh, listed funds because they can afford with a closed-ended structure to invest for a period of three or five years. And I think it's that sort of relatively patient hands-on capital, which can actually sit down and say, look, we've taken a position in your company, we want to help you do the transition, and those rivers you're polluting in emerging markets, we'd like you to reduce that, and we'll give you some capital to help you do that, and take a share of business, but we expect you to deliver, and I think you do need much more involved investors rather than as it were, investors who are just chasing an index to do that sort of work. So we're certainly providing a framework in a jurisdiction which is quite big on that sort of investment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you touched upon kind of the commercial aspect of that, and I think you, you've already kind of started talking about this a little bit, but uh, in terms of the fund, how is it commercially orientated? Um, just overall, kind of what have, the, what have the challenges been in developing the fund and what are the challenges to driving uh, nature-based capital, do you think? Well, I think, in essence, there's a lack of awareness and knowledge still, and it's possibly where climate finance was about 10 years ago. Then there's the complexity. I mean, there's this nice slogan, 30 by 30, but the raw facts are that wherever you are in the world, one tonne of CO2 equivalent is much the same globally, whereas every square mile of nature is different from the next one. And I was at COP15 in December, and it's fascinating. There's some people now doing mapping of the whole world on a sort of square kilometer by square kilometer basis and giving it a rating from uh, 0.98, which is the most uh, pristine, perfect rainforest in the Amazonian basin, through to 0.00, which is your concrete car park somewhere in suburban America. And I think you do need to have that sort of detail, which of course you could now get to a satellite mapping to actually work out well what difference you're making uh, to to what places. And I think there's still a challenge at the level playing field. I was talking to the leaders of some Canadian mining firms, uh, and they're doing something. Do we understand that if you're going to dig out copper or something, you're going to do some damage to the, the, the surrounding things. So you compensate by restoring uh, nature in a surrounding area or a neighboring area. So you're net positive overall. And that's all good things to do. But if you're competing against other mining firms in some countries which don't 
put too much emphasis on that, you're at a commercial disadvantage, and that can be uh, problematic. And I think there needs to be more awareness. And I hope the very widespread adoption, uh, in terms of if you look at the number of signatories to COP15 um, on the 19th of December, uh, should actually encourage more countries to create a level playing field. If there's a level playing field and you can't undercut by polluting rivers uh, with horrible mine uh, uh, extracted elements and so forth, then I think that, that there's some hope it becomes more, more commercially viable. Uh, I think one thing which we've noticed from a couple of conferences we've been to is the main effect at the moment of the emphasis on nature seems to be that those who've already got quite a lot of nature assets are starting to manage them consciously in a much more nature positive way than they have in the past and actually that's within the grounds of economic viability so they're not changing their purpose but if one takes forestry companies i've had certainly discussions with a few forestry companies and compared with a decade ago they've been far more ecologically conscious and not just going for you know uh thousands upon thousands of acres of seeker spruce which is not the most um environmentally nature friendly things and we, we ourselves and part of our efforts to become uh, climate change CO2 neutral. We've done some afforestation in Scotland. We bought a, some land up there and we planted just north of 50,000 trees last year. Uh, but we've also chosen to be nature positive in the planting of it so that we're planting a lot of deciduous trees alongside the classic commercial forestry. Uh, so there's a very nature positive environment. I was up there looking at it uh, last uh, summer and was finding sort of a grouse with her chicks wandering around and feeling much more positive than some of those Scottish forests can feel. So I think there's bits for those which are already owning the assets and if you can enable people to do that, that's very positive for nature overall. Yeah, no, fantastic. Um, Alison, do you have anything to add to that in terms of kind of the challenges of driving nature positive capital and also the kind of commercial orientation um, of the fund as well? Uh, I think, well, obviously, there's got to be a return on investment, and that's one of the, the overall objectives. So it's getting that balance right between ensuring that, that we don't have any greenwashing and that, that there is obviously a, a benefit to nature. Um, as William sort of previously mentioned, we have seen and have some experience in green fund regimes, and we've already re reviewed some of the submissions that have come in, which will provide an awful lot of information on diversity of um, in terms of ground cover, um, down to additional species of animals which have been attracted. I've read reports on um, beekeeping at solar farms. So there's an awful lot of information out there. It's just making sure it's measured and calibrated and we can relate it in to the appropriate um, parts of the natural capital regimes. Yeah, no, brilliant. Um, and Alison, you, you mentioned before, um, targets and criteria so mm. obviously William I'll come to you after this but uh, could you talk me through kind of the initial kind of criteria and targets that have been set for the sure. fund uh, how that differs from from normal funds as well certainly um, I mean the, the designation is basically aimed at funds and this is where I'll quote which invest into initiatives which make a positive contribution to or significantly reduce harm done to the natural world and to qualify a fund needs to set and monitor appropriate controls and targets aligned with one of the criteria that we have designated, which are the UN SDGs, the EU taxonomy, and the CUMIG Montreal Global Diversity Framework. So this is an overlay which goes on top of our normal registration or authorization of a fund. So basically, 
In addition, we would still be looking for a proven track record of our promoter, all entities and individuals being fit and proper to carry out the supervised roles that they're proposed for, uh, a viable structure, a business model that will work. So any application would go through our normal review process, but over and above that, there's the natural capital designation considerations, which we would, would also make either at the same time or following the setup of a fund. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, William, do you have anything to, to add to that? I, I, I think it's really important to give people some assurance that what they're investing in is proper. And there's this double materiality thing, which is difficult. On the one hand, you certainly don't want to encourage any greenwashing. That's damaging because people aren't guessing what they think they're paid for. Conversely, and as a conduct regulator, I think this is an equivalent risk in the other direction. You don't want to encourage people saving for their pensions to invest in supposedly nice, cuddly, warm, safe nature investment, and then actually discover that what they've just done is made a very expensive charitable donation. Okay. Um, I mean, um, as a regulator, and this is purely from conduct, so not because it's not a good thing, but I'm always cautious about notions of, oh, don't worry, this is impact investing, or this is mixed purpose, because I know full well I've worked in emerging markets that making a commercial return is very, very hard work. And while what I call quasi-charitable capital, such as some philanthropic foundations, can go an awful long way and achieve a lot of really good nature positive stuff, that's not commercial. And uh, there's no such thing as virtuous uh, sustainability mis-selling. Um, if uh, the average pensioner is invited to invest their pension fund in a good investment, it needs to offer them a pension, and then not just turn up age 68, 69, or 62 if you're in France, and uh, suddenly discover that uh, there's no money left for them because it's all produced some more hippopotamuses in Africa, but actually there was no commercial return attaching to it. So I do think we've got, as a regulator, to be careful in both directions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've mentioned greenwashing a couple of times, so it'd be interesting to hear the reporting criteria which is connected to the fund and how you're managing uh, potential greenwashing and overall the regulatory efforts that are that are required um, to kind of drive nature-based uh, finance. Three questions in one. Let's go to the reporting criteria and managing potential greenwashing first. <laughs> On application, then, we will look at the, to ensure that the fund managers have well thought out nature goals and plans as to how to assess progress against the agreed standards overseen by some sort of level of expertise. A lot of it is obviously common sense, along with some um, very, very searching questions. We would take any of these applications very seriously because the damage thing that greenwashing could do to Guernsey as a jurisdiction it is huge. Um, nature and biodiversity are much more complex than just targeting uh, reductions in CO2 equivalent. And most funds are likely to have a narrow focus on one or more types of nature improvement, which hopefully should make the measurement and reporting burdens manageable and comparable with generating a positive return to investors. As we've already mentioned, uh, there's lots of uh, guidance in the framework, including suitable examples uh, and measurement tools, which hopefully should help anyone interested. Very good. And William, anything to, to add to that? 
I, I think that's, as it were, on, on application. Yeah. Then each year they'll have to report on it. And within the funds criteria, we haven't been entirely determinative, but we said either look, have some good quality third party experts to help you with this stuff. Or if you're a big fund house and you've got the expertise in house, that's fine too. But make sure that you know what you're doing. So they'll have to report to us at least annually on that. And then what we'll do, what we did with this sustainability with the Guernsey Green Funds, is we did a thematic review of the green funds after they've been running the for and said, okay. Please tell us what you've actually bought with this stuff and tell us how you are actually making sure that you carry on fulfilling criteria. And what we found with that is a bit of public document we put on, on our website is that while some funds hadn't been as perfect as they might have been in ticking every process box, if you looked at the underlying investments, they were undoubtedly all positive for climate change. So we're quite good, we like things regulatory, looking through the bump and actually saying, well, what's the underlying things here? And we would apply the same uh, rigor in looking at natural capital funds and saying, okay, are you actually doing things which help develop the COP15 goals, uh, SDGs, uh, 12 through to 15, etc. You don't have to be doing them all, but you have to be doing at least one of them and doing it properly and meaningfully. And I think the fact that we as a statutory body are doing that, um, as it were, we've got no skin in the game so much as nobody's paying us an extra fee to come up with a positive glowing report and how nice they are. Right. I think that probably provides quite a big deterrence to trying to do green watering, nature watering in, in our jurisdiction. Yeah, no, very, very good. So what should issuers and investors be considering uh, when they're examining and developing and identifying uh, investable uh, nature-based projects uh, and products? What should they be thinking about? How are they going to make money? Um, <laughs> because, well, seriously, you can have all these wonderful ideas, but um, there's always, I think, I, I do believe the caveat emptor to a certain degree. Mm. The investor should be looking at... Where's the income stream coming from this? Am I investing in a beach on the basis that I think in 50 years' time this pristine beach will be worth some more money and I'm prepared to live without any income stream for the intervening 50 years? Or am I investing in a forestry plantation, which I know, given how fast the trees are going to grow, it's going to be cut down in 30 years' time, so I've got to fund the costs of running it for 30 years, but then there's going to be a big income stream from selling off the timber, and then it's going to be a new replanting cycle. Mm. As with all these things, I think an investor's got to be very clear with him or herself that they know where the money's come from, not to say, oh, it must be nice, and somebody else will sort of where the money's coming from, so let me give them my money. They should be scrutinising the prospectus same thing for any other investment, say, where's the income coming from in this asset class? Or is it very highly speculative and invest accordingly? Absolutely. Yeah. I think to add to that, we expect all of our licensees who provide services to our funds, whether they're natural capital or Guernsey Green funds, to ensure that they're appropriately run and to the regulatory standards and in accordance with the fund documentation. So there's nothing different uh, with regards to a natural capital fund, we still expect the same standards to be achieved. But over and above that, we obviously have the, the designation that we need to ensure is, is maintained. 
Yeah, no, fantastic. Um, look, thank you so much, William and Alison. Do you have, is there anything else that you would like to add or or kind of mention to our listeners uh, before before we end the podcast? I, I think it's, it's sort of worth saying a couple of things about nature-based finance uh, a little more broadly. I've talked a little bit about encouraging companies which already own substantial assets to manage them more positively. That's important. I also think in nature-based financing, while it's a good scrap line, it's very important not to be distracted too much by this 30 by 30 um, slogan, which came out of COP15. Uh, it was an attempt to simplify things of an area which is intrinsically very complex. My slight worry with it is, is that people say, which is the 30% of my country, this remote bit of desert, this desolate bit of mountain with not much on it. And I'll declare I've got to my 30 by 30 goal, but I've ring fenced 30% of nature, which was intact anyway, in a very sparse sort of way. And I don't need to worry about my polluted rivers, my factories, about my overuse of natural resources and all those things. I, what I would really like to see inculcated is a culture throughout business that nature is embedded into decision making and for very obvious reasons for many centuries uh, we've seen businesses take nature the free bounty of, uh, of god as for granted and degrade it and that's often how you made your money and we need to go into things by saying how can i be net nature positive in all my business decisions as a matter of course and if everybody does that on a semi-voluntary basis then I think we'll have a much cleaner environment and we'll stop uh, much of the overconsumption. We'll find cleverer ways of, of, of doing this. And so I think it's something which we would like to see every board thinking about. We introduced some standards in our corporate governance code a couple of years ago to ask each board on Guernsey to have one conversation a year at least on how the evolving CO2 equivalent standards should be incorporated in their business strategy and how their strategy was taking into account those uh, Paris climate goals and so forth. And I think in time, it would be nice if all businesses globally gave similar thought to how they're taking into account nature in their, in their business strategy. It's not suddenly saying that bankers stop being bankers or miners stop being miners, but actually making it a conscious part of decision-making, saying, whereas you think, how do I stop my staff being killed as a conscious mm. part of my decision-making? It should just be there as one of the factors which are weighed and accounted for and protected against in, in normal business decision-making. Yeah, yeah, no, an excellent point. Um, and Alison, any final final remarks or, or thoughts from your side as well? Um, I would like to just fly the flag for us as a regulator with a regime like this. Um, yeah. We're approachable, we're friendly, and we are always open to conversations from promoters and individuals who are interested in, in the fund regime to, to get in contact. No, brilliant, and a, a lovely, a lovely way to end. And Thank you again for, for joining us today. Thank you for sharing this really excellent, excellent initiative. It's really fantastic to kind of hear a real case study uh, and a real example of, of this happening. Um, it's something we're examining a lot, but it's uh, it's not always that easy to find kind of nature-based funds, uh, nature-based projects and nature-based capital. So kind of getting that, that first-hand experience from you is, is really fantastic. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, we'll also put a link to the fund uh, on, on the webpage uh, for our listeners so that you can uh, you can view this and, and read this for yourselves as well. 
but yeah, thank you so much, William and Alison. Um, and thank you to our listeners. You can subscribe to this and all our other OnFit podcasts on our channel on Spotify uh, and iTunes. Thanks again, William and Alison. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the OnFit podcast.